immigration. That's not my Jesus. And the story of St. Nicholas punching Arius in the face. Stay tuned for Table Talk Radio. A radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, wait a minute, you're mistaken. <laughs> he said to me, he said, you sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism. <laughs> and it's so, 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 so deserved to be crunched. I'm in mega crunch. So, uh, if you guys would put mega, the mega crunch. crunch on the song, that would be awesome. <laughs> keep uh, preaching the word, pastors. Keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious. It's like wearing your ugly Christmas sweater all the time. This is Table Talk Radio. And uh, you got a, you got an ugly Christmas sweater to wear over there, Pastor Wolf Miller? No. You it's need not even one. Christmas yet. It's... Advent. Oh, this will probably be, people will probably be listening to this in Epiphany. Yeah, or Lent. Pre-Lent. <laughs> uh, happy Happy Ash Wednesday, everybody. You know what's tough about uh, doing a podcast is doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sitting here talking. That's easy. That's uh, the easy part. Wait, wait. What I can, do you, I'm, what I'm do you not know only about t- that. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I'm not checking Facebook right now. You don't want to know what I'm doing. I'm taking the Enneagram test. What's Instagram? Is it like Instagram? You no, know, it's like a it's this personality test that all the ladies are taking at the evangelical churches, and it gives you <laughs> your it, like emotional like, energy type or something. Is it like for date matching or something? Or I don't think so. I think it's like a Holy Spirit inventory or something. But I don't think it's Christian. But I haven't taken it yet. I haven't I haven't got my test results. So if I pass this test, I'll let everybody. <laughs> well, here, get, give me a sample of a question or two. Okay, you want to help? You can answer this. It's really hard for me to save money as I tend to spend beyond my limits. Okay, so go ahead and start the test then. <laughs> I don't tend to overcommit myself. I have a limited amount of time and energy. <laughs> <laughs> That's you. I would I would mark high on that one. <laughs> uh, I, I overcome it. It's strange, but I think there's something beautiful about sadness. Huh. Oh, this is weird. I, I wrote. I wrote that. Uh, see this now. How do you answer this question? Because I think that the Lord uses suffering to bless us. I think that's Ooh. part of the Christian life, bearing the cross. So does that mean that I think there's something beautiful about sadness? Well, I guess so, but I think it's because of uh, because. Like, I- because of the theology. You just hope that whoever's interpreting your test results understands that theologically or else they're calling you in and saying... I know. They're going to like flag me for the... How, how about an administrative leave, Pastor Wolf? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it would be... Here's another one. It would be the worst thing to be seen by others as a loser. Well, you live that every day. I, table so. talk radio. <laughs> don't worry about that. I don't have to speculate on that one. All right, let's uh, let's look at the show for today. What are we okay. doing? You you just kind of pulled into the gr- random grab bag of table. Hey, talk look radio at this one. Topics. This is this next Instagram question has to do with our show prep. I'm a big procrastinator. 
let's just take that up later. I don't really want to do with it right now. All right. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, we got a bunch of emails we're going to respond to. Nice. Going St. Nick, Bern, uh, Bertrand Russell. We got another one to Facebook Theology. Ten Commandments in the News. Uh, that's there. This is, um, oh, yeah, uh, another news article forwarded to us. Americans love God and the Bible but are fuzzy on the details. So we're going we're gonna to wander through some, uh, some emails and respond to them and maybe invent some games on the way today. All right, invent your own game show. So that'll be good. Uh, I guess we start with buzzwords. I kind of forgot about this. My buzzword for you is martyrdom. I got to read today. Oh, this is glorious. I got to read Luther's On the Burning of Brother Henry. So Henry, they don't. We don't know much about this guy. Want me to tell you the story? I'll tell yeah, you the I story. Do. So Henry was. They, they, he. They don't even know his last name. They call him Henry from Zupfen. Wait, Zupfen, up in uh, maybe in the Netherlands or something. He was a student in Wittenberg. He went back. He was preaching around uh, in Bremen, northern Germany, he, and he was so he was an Augustinian, and it seems like they. If I remember right, the Augustinians in Norway really grabbed onto the Reformation, but they were persecuted. So this guy was a preacher of the gospel for a couple of years in Bremen, and they called him over to the town next door, the town called Dithmarken, or Marchen, and he went halfway over there to Meldorf, and he was preaching. He, in fact, he got to town, and they heard about it. So there, there's all this political stuff to try to get him to not preach. He goes and he preaches. He's 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 to be arrested. Uh, and so they, they have this thing that he's to be arrested. All the guys get drunk. They don't want him. And the thing is, Luther's telling the story about Brother Henry. And um, and over and over, whenever he would start preaching, people would be converted. And so they, they're trying to get him to not preach. So they, In fact, they sent a couple of young like Dominican friars or something to listen to him. And they came back and they said, he preaches the truth. We, we're his, we want to follow his doctrine now. It's amazing. Well, anyway, they, they got to silence him. So they go and they pull him out of the... He's staying with his pastor. He preached for a couple of days. They pulled him out at night. They drag him behind a horse from Meldorf down to, to this town called Haida. All through the night, he's dragged out there. And um, and they, they said, do you, do you want to go to um, trial at this other town? Or He says... Uh, what are you accusing me of? I've taught God's word. God's will be done. So they st- just start beating him. They beat him with a mace. They stab him. And he's preaching. He says, uh, Christ, for- forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They punch him in the face, and still he's he's confessing the doctrine. He wrote his master's thesis was written in Wittenberg on the doctrine of justification. That's really what gets him in trouble. So now they're trying to, um, how did this go? They're trying to uh, set him on fire. But it says that they won't, um, the fire won't start. They can't get the fire started. They tie him to this ladder, and they're going to lo- lower the ladder, the wooden ladder, onto the fire, but it drops down the other way. And and uh, and so it's like the angels are preventing him from going onto the fire. So so they lift him up, and, and uh, with one of these, um, like, sp- pikes or something like this, they lift up the ladder, and it slips, and it stabs him through, but he still doesn't die. Huh. And he's still preaching. So finally, the guy just starts pounding him in the chest with a mace until he dies. And they put his corpse over the flames. And um, and he dies there, age 36. 50, this happened in 1524. Whoa. In, in Haida, Germany. And, um, and so Luther wrote this letter to the saints in Bremen, where he was their pastor for two years, to comfort them. And he has this, all these beautiful lines 
in in this letter that he writes to to comfort them. Um, he but here's one. He says, "To die for God's word and faith is a priceless, precious, and noble death, fit only for the spirit and children of God." It's just amazing sort of stuff. So so uh, and Luther talks about all these other reformations. So so the martyrdom really stopped in 313 in the early church but there's like a thousand year gap but then it starts to fire up in the middle ages and really during the reformation here's another line from luther because what luther does as he writes this letter of comfort to the church who lost their pastor to this martyrdom he he does a commentary of psalm 9 and he says i want i'm commanding you to pray psalm 9 and i'll pray it with you and luther says in that commentary the lord overcomes the living through the dying and the dead which is just it's amazing to stuff to think about. So anyway, wow. that's the that's martyr that's a burning of brother Henry. But that really puts things in perspective, doesn't it? I mean, it's like you you read about all that, then you read these personality tests. I have a hard time dealing with difficult people. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe not. Maybe it's not mm-hmm. that big a deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, my theological. Oh, here, oh, hey, here's one. Let me tell you one more thing. So they sent a monk to give him the absolution before he was put to death. So so okay so they're 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 stabbing his sides his back his arms wherever they could get at him not just once as often as they as he attempted to speak, and then Master Gunther edged, egged on the crowd and baited them shouting go at it my fine fellows this is God's work the beating up of Henry, the same Master Gunther brought an ignorant gray friar to hear Henry's confession, the martyr of Christ said to him brother have I ever offended you in any way or provoked you to anger, no replied the monk. Then said the good brother Henry, what sin should I confess to you that you should forgive me? And the gray monk was ashamed and withdrew. <laughs> so I don't need your absolution. I already have the Lord's. <laughs> the, the fire wouldn't burn no matter how often they tried to light it. They gave vent to their malice by beating him with halberds and pikes for about two hours. He stood before the peasants naked except for his nightshirt with eyes lifted to heaven. It's just incredible. You got to put those out somehow, those stories. I got the Martyr Monday, you know. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, my theological buzzword for you is LXX. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one, actually. Ah, well, thank you very much. So this is, these are the Roman numerals for the number 70, and this is a shorthand way of, of referring to the Septuagint. Now, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Now, this is understood to be, I don't know, I don't really know the history of this. I don't know if it's legend, but supposedly what happened is they got 70 scholars to to separately translate the Masoretic texts into the Greek, and they got together and compared their translations, and lo and behold, uh, their translations were all the same. So this was uh, uh, some kind of a divine indication that that was a good translation. So anyway, the, as, as you see, though, sometimes in writing, it's just have the phrase or the letters LXX that's referring to the Septuagint because of the 70 scholars. This was done um, around the 3rd third, third century, 2nd century B.C. This was taken care of. So LXX. Right. Got it. Hey, what do you think about this? I don't let it show, but if I'm with someone who's unique as I am, I get a bit jealous. Are you feeling jealous right now? <laughs> I better click yes. <laughs> Partly. <laughs> How many questions are on this? I don't know, 14 pages. It's going to take a whole segment. All right. Well, we need to take a break. When we get back, we'll be actually diving into something. And uh, we have a lot on the docket here, so stay tuned. Go fast. 
If you want to send us a suggestion of a personality test, then send an email to questions at tabletalkradio.org. We'll be right back. Don't go away. I often lose focus and my attention drifts off. (laughs) That's partly. Partly. (laughs) Wait, what were you talking about? Table Talk Radio. (laughs) The disaster continues. The Sunday Drive Home, Grappling with the Text and the Theo Vlog. These are some of the playlists on the YouTube channel. Visit YouTube slash Wolfmuller1. Check it out there. Well, the results are in. Pastor Wolfmuller was to was able to give his attention long enough to a personality test, and it came back error. <laughs> It's what it says. It is not clear. This is, quote, it is not clear from these these tests which Enneagram type and wing you are. Bummer. What that means. You're Enneagram. I am? <laughs> this is a problem. It's because, you know, there's, okay, there's a handful of problems with these tests. Because, number one, you know, you, uh, well, anyway, this is not interesting to anybody else. But it's not even interesting I'm to me. Kind of by nature, a very disastrously unorganized person. Wait, what? And yet I'm all I'm all David Allen getting <laughs> getting things done up. So I know, I'm, that's a cover up. I'm, it's it's kind of like I, the the people who drive a Prius. <laughs> I just offended all <laughs> Prius owners. Yeah, that's right. What are you calling us? Okay. <laughs> so I I actually do accomplish all sorts of things, but it's not because of my personality. It's because I've have props around it. You know what I mean? And there's this whole big thing about how so so what I don't think these things take into account also the idea of vocation because look at I mean, I probably I don't know how sensitive I am naturally. I I might be, you know, I I might be more of a my personality might be a lot more mystical, I would guess, than most people would might think. But I know that that's wrong. So I, I'm you know I'm fighting against all that sort of stuff. So anyhow, so the day starts. What the result is my enneagram type. It says here you're most likely like type three. Nine point four, type eight, nine, type seven. What does that mean? That doesn't Who mean anything what? to me. Type nine, six. Okay, so type. I don't know. It doesn't mean anything to me. What happens if I type type three, the achiever? Hmm. People of this personality type need to feel validated in order to feel worthy. Huh. That's type three. Brandon, I'm let you know, I should you're marry doing, a you're doing a you're doing a really good job today. I I just wanted you to. I get uh, I get along with horses. I should marry a steak. You, you remember how this is? Just just reminds me of the Chinese restaurant, the zodiac thing, where everybody born in a single year has the same exact personality type. It's amazing. All right, let's move on. Um, you know what so, I'm talking about? The Chinese thing? No, no, I'm ready. I'm ready to move on. I, I don't have an attention span long enough to. <laughs> Listen to whatever it is you're talking about. No, we got. You don't, we, we you got don't this. think this the transition from Enneagrams to Chinese restaurants was enough for you? No, it you want to say let's actually change topics. Let's change. Okay, it. fine. Okay, so we got this uh, story sent to us from Chris in Australia, probably, and uh, it's about the uh, the caravan that no one's talking about anymore, and what the Catholic response is. 
This is going to be interesting. This comes to us from Fox News. Over 3,000 Catholics and other people of faith signed a pledge to express solidarity with those in the caravan seeking asylum in the United States. The executive director of the Franciscan Action Network is quoted as saying this, We feel it's our moral duty to welcome and protect the asylum seekers in the migrant caravan who simply seek a safe place to live and raise their kids. To turn them away at our border would be inhumane. Here to react is Father Jonathan Morris. Father, thanks for being here this morning. Welcome. Uh, so, where I mean, this is one side of, of a Catholic view of, of the migrant caravan, of migration generally. Where do you fall? Well, I think the Catholic view is actually much more nuanced, and this is uh, a statement like that, at least the part that we just read, um, I think doesn't do justice to the perpetual moral and ethical principles that have been out there. First of all, there is a natural human right to emigrate. That means to leave one's country. If I want to leave the United States of America, I have the human right, natural human right, to be able to do that. Sure. But I don't have a human right. It's not a human right to immigrate wherever I want to. And that is the responsibility of a sovereign state to make sure that immigration levels are both safe and sustainable. Now, all right, let's let's pause there. So he makes this interesting distinction that one has a uh, innate human right to leave a country, but one doesn't have an innate human right to enter a country. What do you think about that? That's great. That is really actually fantastic. So you can't you can't keep people in, but you can keep people out. The borders are a one-way valve, so it would be a, it would be I think and I think that's right. Uh, I, now that I'm thinking about it a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, according to my Enneagram type, it, I think that was predictable because <laughs> I'm apparently also a challenger as I learn about this. Now, the, so you got to be able to you you can't hold people in. It's, it's people have noted that the most countries with walls all around them are the communist countries and the walls are not to keep people out there to keep people in you know the berlin wall was not to keep people out of west berlin it was to keep people in east berlin hmm. so the 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 tyrannical dictators have to have walls to trap their own people and that is that is a violation as this guy talks about of human rights but the sovereign uh, a sovereign nation does have the right to def to define its own borders and to say that can't come in here you have to there there needs to be a lawful uh progress for immigration because and i think we just sort of instinctively know that that you don't you, you there, there's a there's got to be a a way to let people um there's got to be a way to to sort of defend w what happens in here so if 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 we were against immigration, for example, we said, "Hey, no immigration at all." That would be, well, I don't know if it'd be wrong, but it would be rude at least. Nobody else can come in the U.S. Mm -hmm. it's, you know, shut the borders altogether. But the whole point of the, well, I think of the what's happening here is to have a wall, is to say, "Hey, there should be a a legal process for people coming in here. We don't just throw open the doors. It's not right. It's like nobody just has a house with no front door on it. Right. Yeah. So so there there'd be. Either extreme, I don't think anyone's arguing for you know zero immigration where no one can come in. I don't think anyone's saying that, and uh, and and I don't think anyone's saying that we should have uh, no process for immigration. That is to say that uh, no matter who you are, you can come here. We would want to know: Well, do you have you know a violent history? Are you a murderer on the run from your own country or something like that? Uh, so there's going to be at least even even if you have a a very wide view of who we should be accepting to our country for immigration, I would hope that you'd have one at least some kind of vetting to know who's coming in. 
So let's let's, so. let's let's hear more from. Um, you got to give all the refugees an immig an enneagram test to see who they that's are. That's right. That's right. And and only if they can understand the question can they come in. That that would limit. Do you know what the one of the type? How I got to go back and take this test because one uh -oh. of the types I'm looking here is the reformer. I wish I could have got that type. <laughs> you were I much too concerned, concerned about to the feelings. reformer type. You're much too concerned about feelings on that one. Anyway, here you go. Of course, that's on the human reason, natural level. We also have a responsibility, and this is where we have to balance these principles, to make sure that we are taking care of those who are most in need, who are fleeing from danger. And it's the government's responsibilities, responsibility, our elected officials, to determine how to balance those principles, right? To mm -hmm. make sure that there is safety and that there are sustainable levels of immigration at the same time to welcome those who are truly in need. No administration in either party in recent history has been able to do it. My hope is that because President um, Trump is so out of the box on so many things. Perhaps if he's reelected in his second term, it's the greatest hope that he actually do some, does something radical. Neither administration, neither party has done sufficiently in this, in this very serious crisis we're in. Absolutely. You know, I do believe that there's a role for the church to play in, in, in Mexico and, and wherever they are, there are people that are in need. Obviously, some of these people are very poor, need help, and I'm glad yes. that the Catholic Church is doing it. But, and I think we should lead with compassion. But this journey um, from Central America North is often done by children who are unaccompanied, and there have been policies sure. that in, have incentivized that, and many of them have been assaulted and, and hurt and have died along the journey. Um, isn't that another thing that we need to think about when we think about these policies? Absolutely, and that's why it's very complex, and that's why our political leaders have a grave responsibility to figure it out. Yes, we need to be taking care of our, of our neighbor who is fleeing from danger. Yes, we also have a responsibility to protect our, our current neighbors from people who are coming to inflict danger. All right, so that's a great point. Again, um, so, uh, you know, this is one of those things that, that we... That sounds like a, actually a decent conversation. Yeah, I know, right? Over there. Where was that? <laughs> Fox News? Yeah, Fox and Friends is where it's at. So, 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 so yeah, so, I mean, I think okay. he's, he's making the, uh, the great point that uh, we... Th there are people who are in a varying situations where they're they're fleeing from um you know political oppression and we have an opportunity to to help them um and yet we also have an opportunity to make sure that those who are in our own country uh, stay safe and uh, how that is done is always what the political debate is about um you know some people want to build a wall some people don't um and and that that is a discussion for i suppose the process in which our country has deemed for creating law and, and and spending and elections and all of that. Um, but but I think I think where this conversation arose was from the from the idea that um, everyone should be pro immigration on the basis of the things that Jesus said about uh, welcoming uh, helping the foreigner and not turning the foreigner away uh, as if to say that we can have no immigration laws whatsoever barring anyone from entering the country on the basis of the Bible. Right. Which would be, that just means that that's like making the argument that the Bible forbids us from having countries. I mean, it's one of the, it's one of the things of a country. I mean, so what is a country? One of the things is you, we have to say, well, here's where this country is. And here's where this country is. There's a line between the two countries. And that means that. So, so the very definition of, 
of a nation and national sovereignty means that there's a border, and that border means something. Right. Right. And that there's laws for crossing it or not crossing it. So the Bible doesn't say that there shouldn't be countries. It doesn't undo the nation state. Thus, the Bible does not say that there should be no borders at all, which is basically what an open border is. All right. We're going to take a break. Pastor Wolfram is going to pick the next topic, so we'll see what he comes up with. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. The enthusiast. That's what you would be. Type 7. Concerned that their lives being an exciting adventure. Table Talk Radio. Answering the age-old question. If a radio show is broadcasting and no one listens, does it still make a sound? The Daily Bible Meditation blog is at rightlydividedbible.wordpress.com, where three chapters of the Bible are considered each day. Check it out. Okay. Now we're back on Table Talk Radio and Pastor Wolf. We're going to talk about something other than your multiple personalities. Yes, we're going to talk about Bertrand Russell. <laughs> oh. Speaking of multiple personnel. Hey, I don't know who this comes from. It's, we got an email here in the episode planning, and it just says Bertrand Russell quotation. Nothing. No context. Just a quote from Bertrand Russell. Someone Remember from Bertrand Australia, no doubt, sent this in, don't you think? Bertrand Russell was an English fella. He was always debating G.K. Chesterton, which I would have loved to see, because I think Bertrand Russell was this tall, skinny atheist. And G.K. Chesterton was this tall, fat Catholic. And they would debate each other, and they would laugh at each other. Or at least Chesterton would laugh at Bertrand <laughs> Russell and everything else. And, and Bertrand Russell would say everything was so serious. Anyway, Bertrand Russell wrote—he wrote that famous essay, Why I Don't Believe in God. Is that true? Is that what that thing's called? Something uh, like that. Something. Yeah. Why I'm an atheist. Anyway, he was a mathematician. He writes this interesting insight. Metaphysics, or the attempt to conceive the world as a whole by means of thought, has been developed from the first by the union and conflict of two very different human impulses, the one urging men towards mysticism, the other urging them towards science. Science. <laughs> Some men have achieved greatness through one of these impulses alone, others through the other alone. In Hume, for example, the scientific impulse reigns checked, while in Blake... A strong hostility to science coexists with a profound mystic insight. But the greatest men who have been philosophers have felt the need both of science and of mysticism. The attempt to harmonize the two was what made their life, and what always must, for all its arduity, make philosophy, to some minds, a greater thing than either science or religion. Okay, so... So if I could summarize what's going on here, that, that either um, one would would go towards um, something being entirely uh, mystical or something entirely scientific, but really in order to be a, a balanced philosopher, we have to have um, both sides of that. Is that what it's saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's like he sees the he sees two of the three ladders. Bertrand mm-hmm. Russell does. Mm-hmm. The rattle. The, remember, we talk about these ladders that man um, put up to try to climb the ladder to heaven. You got the ladder of mysticism, the ladder of 
of rationalism and the latter of moralism, and Bertrand Russell sees the two. Now, often what this means is you can see the other ladders that you're not on. So it's, that would be an interesting thing to see. To see. But we've, we've noted often that there's a conflict between the three ladders, but the most sort of captivating worldviews are the ones that are able to embrace all three of them. Here, here Russell says there's two impulses. There's the scientific impulse and the mystical impulse. Some people climb one ladder, other people climb the other. But you do well if you can have your feet on both, and that's what he calls philosophy. So science w would be the mental ladder, and religion would be the mystical ladder, as he perceives it here, as he construes it. And you should have your foot on, one foot on each ladder, and that will allow you to climb the highest of all. Mm, climb better. But, I mean, it's, it's not as if, though, uh, Christians are anti-science, right? I mean... Uh... I think Christianity has furthered and progressed science um, for a long time. It's just within, uh, I don't know, the last, hundred, I don't know, how many years, it, it became a replacement for God. And I don't think that's um, right. a position we, we, we want to understand, that somehow science, it's science versus God. <laughs> it is a weird argument, because the way that a lot of people see it nowadays is that's that's how it goes, because... Because science has been so absorbed by evolution that you can't think of science apart from evolution. And evolution is certainly anti-God and anti-Christian, anti-reason, anti-everything. Evolution is, is, is anti-science, but it's so bound up to science. So people are like, look, uh, I mean, this is, I, I, someone told me this. They said, look, and they held up their iPhone. They said, look, science. Christians, they, they're, they're, it's like, you can't be, you don't believe in evolution, so you shouldn't be able to use an iPhone. <laughs> like, what the, that doesn't... How does that make sense? But this is how most people uh, see it. They, Christianity is this kind of backwards, anti-science sort of thing. Like, um, it's weird. Like, we're, people think of Christians and they think of, like, the Monty Python medieval castle or something. <laughs> and that's how Christian—that's the ideal Christian world, the anti-science, as if Christians are against paying attention to stuff. So, so uh, electricity and calendars and whatever. So, I mean, if we didn't know Russell's background, could we take this quote and see it for that which, you know, science being the, the furtherment of, of our you know, discovery of the world around us, uh, and mysticism is to say that there's something metaphysical beyond just what we can see. I mean, could we take this as a, an actually a, a good quote in that sense? I, th I mean, you, I suppose you could, but see, this is the problem is that both of these— the, the, with the three ladders, the, they all fall short when it comes to to salvation. When right. it when it comes to understanding what is true, there's a fourth thing, which is revelation. It's the downward, it's the ladder that comes down to us. It's the incarnation. That's where true wisdom is. So, um, so so that's what we we want to confess. And it's it might be true when Russell's talking about being a great man, but we're we're not trying to make great men. We're trying to make Christians, which are oftentimes very not great men. Yeah. Very humble, miserable men or whatever. That's the, the that's not the goal. You don't have to be some you don't have to be some sort of great hero to be a Christian. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, Carl from Australia sends sends an email asking, uh, "Dear pastor, St. Nicholas came to prominence mostly for punching a heretic in the face." Was this a sinful act? Now, did he come down the chimney to punch? Uh, um, you know, so Arius I in the face? I know about this. I was 
I, I was because because um, Saint Nick, Saint Nicholas of Myra, is his name. And Myra is this little village that's on southern Turkey. It's, it's southern Turkey now. It's in Asia, Asia Minor, back then. And he was from a Christian family. He's a rich guy. His uncle was a pastor and bishop. He apparently he did he traveled when he was younger. He was must have been Enneagram type seven or something. And he went down to Egypt and Israel and, and wandered around and came back and he became pastor and bishop and and he was there a Christian bishop, but he was a particularly humble man and and so he heard of the story. There's a wealthy family in town. And are you amazed that I know all this stuff? I I'm, this is what I just want to. You're know. like a walking I, I, Wikipedia. No, it's I am. I don't have Wikipedia open here. I resent that. <laughs> I resent your veiled compliment. So when he was there, he, as pastor in Myra, there was this family. This is the legend that had a man and his wife had died. He had three daughters. He was apparently wealthy, but then lost all his wealth for who knows how. And so he, his daughters were going to be sold into slavery, basically. Maybe even into prostitution. They just didn't have. He didn't have a dowry, so Saint Nick goes and he puts through the window a bag of gold one night, and then through the window a bag of gold the next night, and then through the window a bag of gold the third night at, for the dowry for the three girls. And on the third night he gets caught by the dad, but he makes him promise not to tell. But that's what the, that's the story that gets told, and it gets passed on. And they said that the so the, as the story sort of expanded is that he dropped those bags of gold down the chimney and that's how that whole thing got started but he was at as far as we could tell he at we actually do think that that nicholas was at the council of nicaea 325 where arius was there and probably he punched an arian maybe not arius himself but an, mm. a follower of arius and he got suspended he couldn't be a pastor for a couple of years because of that hmm. outbreak Ah, uh, but in the Council of Nicaea, you know, we drafted the Nicene Creed, and so and so Saint Nicholas of Myra was there during that. And but he was, but he was a pastor before the Edict of Milan. So thirteen, thir so three thirteen was when Christianity became legal. He was a pastor before that, so he was jailed for being a pastor. He was beaten. They in fact poked out his eye for being a pastor. So he he was said to have walked with a limp his whole life, and and he was blind. Uh, in one eye, so but he and he was an old man, but then when the Edict of Milan came around, and then it was illegal for the pagans to have their pagan practices. There was this Artemis temple there in Myra, and there he was, seventy years old, blind in one eye, tearing down the walls of the Artemis temple. Hmm. This is the, that's I think the greatest picture that we should have of Santa right, Claus. So we, right there. we have just a minute. Yeah, that's right. This is just a minute left, so I want to get a, a quick answer, and then I want to read the rest of the email. Was that a sinful act? That is uh, punching a heretic in the face. Yes. Okay. And then Carl continues, I ask, because sin or not, I really want to follow his example. <laughs> sinful or not, the yeah, next person who prays Disorderly. over me or says something like, God, I declare or claim healing on Carl like God is some genie or is on their, uh, or it's like, uh, there or my right, I might not be able to restrain myself. Either way, I promise I will do my best to hold myself to talking to them like they're a Galatian, but I can't promise I won't punch the next person who blasphemes my Lord for, for my sake. 
All right. So thank you, Carl. And Punching do- in the face belongs to the vocation of soldier, by the way. Just a soldier. Okay. So uh, we'll leave that to the Salvation Army. <laughs> All right. We are out of time for this segment. It flies by, but uh, we're going to get geared up for the next segment. If you have a comment or a question, you can give us a call. one 800 385 7652 1-800-385-SOLA is the number. You can also send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. If uh, you are writing from Australia, your emails go to the top of the line. I just made that up on the spot. All right, thank you. <laughs> we'll be right back. And then, uh, Pastor Wolfner, you want to pick up another story for us to talk about? This I'm just going to let you drive here. You know, yeah, I got one here. I'll Facebook just... theology. That's coming up next. Oh, see what I did. When I let you drive, it always goes to Facebook. All right. <laughs> At least we're off of your Instagram personality. Hey, you really are listening to Table Talk Radio. So I've kicked up the Wolfmuller One YouTube channel, and I was talking to Daniel, my expert YouTube advisor, about it, who said, Dad, your stuff is really bad. I know, Daniel, I know. But look, I have 4,006 uh, for watch time and to monetize on YouTube, you got to have 4,000 hours. And I, I look, I said, look, 4,006. And Daniel says, Dad, you have 4,006 minutes, not hours. <laughs> anyway, if you want to see what we're up to over on YouTube, you can visit YouTube, search for Wolfmuller. Wolfmuller1 is the channel name. See you there. Congratulations, you made it to the end of the show. Pastor Wolfmiller, you Almost. The, yeah, I mean, if you can make it just 12 more minutes, hang in there. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, all right, let's hear about did Facebook. I, did I tell you how we went to the, the state uh, cross-country championships? Andrew was racing. His team won fifth in state, um, and he was running cross-country. And so... This is great. It's you know they have to run for three miles or whatever, and then there's the finish line, a couple hundred yards. This is a great metaphor for Table Talk Radio. You will see why because we're there in the stands and we know we're looking at the time, so we know Andrew's going to be coming along soon, and we're just we can't wait for him to to see the finish line and hear the crowd yelling and just you get your last wind and you sprint to the end like this. You know how that goes. And so then we see Andrew coming around the corner, and he sees the end and he starts to crank it up for that last push and then he starts to gag <laughs> and he's the whole time he's running to the oh. <laughs> trying to just not throw up oh, yeah. just kind of tripping along uh, until he gets to the finish line it all comes out you know it's carnage at the no, end of these cross-country see, finish no, no, lines he has it all wrong he needs to use that to his advantage i mean that can be that can be like um a, a way to to, to people around slow him. down. Oh yeah, See someone's you. starting to pass you, and there there's no way they're going to try to pass you. Then, <laughs> I what the one I watched the the girls ran after that, and I watched this the most amazing. So here's the the last. I mean, people cross the finish line just collapse, and there's like the EMTs there to get to like give them water, and there's a tent for people. And they're taking people in the tent, and everyone's half dead. It's amazing, <laughs> and the last girl to finish the race. She comes around the corner, and she's not running that slow. I mean, she's there at state. It's pretty, but she's the last one, and there's a lady standing on the other side of the finish line, like holding her arms out, waiting for her like this. And this girl 
just like looks at her and is like, oh, I can't me make it that far. She she but she cranks it. She runs to the finish line, and she gets to the, and her feet just stop at the finish line, hmm. and she just collapses into this lady's arms and knocks her over. And they're like the guys are there and they're like picking her up and they're like carrying her into the booth. I mean, she just collapsed over the finish line. It was the most amazing thing. It's just a picture of of huh. Romans or, or of, uh, Hebrews twelve. The, hmm. the, 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 we're racing the cloud of witnesses, just trying to cross the line. Anyway, that's what Table Talk Radio is like: <laughs> gagging to the finish line. That was a long. Let's see, you three minutes in. It took us to to bring that analogy. But you, you know, around. it's a it's a I'm, it's a good story. You know, it's storytelling. That's what the people like nowadays. Okay, all right. The stories. All right. What they don't like is Facebook theology. So let's go to that. Dear pastors, show full description. Whoa, look at this one. Who wrote this? Some Australian says, I recently by accident ended up in a conversation on the Facebook. Do you notice how he says the Facebook? Uh-huh. I mm-hmm. think that's proper. Yep. There's not mo- there's not more than one. It's not a Facebook. Right. On the Facebook with a so-called pastor of East Coast Community Church who believes the gospel is about social justice. Basically, to be nice to everyone. He had posted this article from HuffPost. If the link doesn't work, the article is titled, That's Not My Jesus. Anyway, my friend liked the post, and that's how I ended up seeing it and commenting. Following the conversation, I'd like to know if you would have taken a different approach or added anything. I attached the meme that said pastor posted in response to me. Sorry about the link to the email. Keep up the mediocrity. So the meme says, God didn't send Jesus so that he could finally tolerate us. He sent Jesus so that we would finally see God as he always was before we reinvented him as some kind of abusive father with an anger management problem. Mm. Oh, my goodness. So, I, so there, there's, a, uh, there's a kernel of truth in this, but it is uh, all wrong. So <laughs> let me explain. So uh, when it says that God didn't send Jesus that, we would finally, that he could finally tolerate us, that's sort of mocking atonement, right? So... Um, so, so what the Bible actually teaches us is that God has set up a law and, and we have transgressed against that law. And so, uh, since God is holy and righteous and we run afoul of his law, then there is a punishment that ensues for that. I mean, I mean, just think about that. If, if, if you had any other judge, just like some sort of a county courthouse judge who, uh, uh, in, in trial, says, yeah, you broke the law, but I'm just a really good judge. And no, so, you know, acquits everyone who appears before the bench. Uh, you would say that's a terrible judge because no, now there's no law at all. There's actually uh, no punishment. Uh, and so in order for there to actually be a law, there has to be a punishment um, for them. So uh, God is uh, a good judge. Um, and so there is an atonement. But he says then, this is the line that I'm interested in. He sent Jesus so that we would finally see God as he always was before we reinvented him. Now, I, of course, am, uh, 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 again, against this notion that we re- somehow reinvented God as an abusive father. So this is all, this is everything against uh, atonement. But there's a kernel of truth in this that Jesus uh, shows us uh, who God really is. And even... Um, I mean, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So, so it's. I mean, this is the common thing you hear, right? That the God of the Old Testament's mean and angry, but the God of the New Testament's nice and loving. It's the same God. 
So how do we explain then that we would it appears that God is mean and angry in the Old Testament, but is nice and loving in the New Testament, but that there has been a acquittal that has taken place because of the atoning sacrifice, the substitutionary atonement that that Jesus has taken on the punishment for our sin. So it's not that God changed. It's not that we invented God as an abusive father with an anger management problem. It's that Jesus, in his love for us, willingly submits himself uh, to take on the wrath and punishment that we deserve. Um, so, 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 so to uh, to to change it into some kind of a anger management problem completely removes the love of God, and, that, and that's what this yep. this meme yep. does. Here, here's the here's from the article. This is not my Jesus. The HuffPost thing that's goes that Jesus was the stone the builders rejected. True. There was never a time when Jesus was accepted. Jesus lived his entire life in the margins of society. Jesus was a brown-skinned Middle Eastern poor Jewish refugee. His community assumed he was a bastard child. His people lived in fear of the Roman military. His family settled in an insignificant town on the outskirts of the Jewish world. He learned a humble trade, worked in order to help provide for his poor parents at a young age, and then devoted his adult life to everyone in his path who had been marginalized by people in positions of authority. Jesus brought life to those who no one wished to offer life to. Jesus, the one I just described, is not the Jesus that molds the hearts and minds of American Christianity today. That Jesus has been gentrified. The most important parts of that Jesus we find in the Gospels have been co-opted by those in positions of privilege. Anyone who has been a part of the original community of Christ, the poor, the sick, the disadvantaged, the shamed, the sinful, the racial minorities, the social outcasts have been priced out of the kingdom of God in America. They've been displaced to make rooms for the comfortable amenities preferred by those who have never had to live in discomfort. So there you go. Hmm. Uh, so so it says that he uh, believes the gospel is about social justice. So ju- just as Jesus was in these... Uh, minorities, what uh, the gospel is, is loving people who are, what, oppressed or... I mean, this is... Uh, yeah, is it, yeah, it's just social justice sort of thing. Now, okay, so there's a, there is a grain of truth in this thing, and that is that Jesus is the Savior of all people. It doesn't matter. It does not matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter if you're oppressed or the oppressor. It doesn't matter. I mean, Jesus died... Jesus died for the Pharisees and for Pontius Pilate just as well as he died for the thieves on the cross next to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, Jesus was not—he was not dividing up the world into the oppressed and the not oppressed and saving the oppressed. That's not what Jesus was up to. Je- Jesus was saving everybody from themselves, from their sins, from—and it's not some social construct. This is the problem, is that the, the, um, the tolerati, the, 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 the kind of fancy ideologues of the progressive left— want to divide up everybody according to their oppression. But Jesus sees us all under the oppression of sin and death and the devil, every single one of us, which is why he's the savior of the entire world. And so this whole thing really breaks down. I mean, so Jesus was poor. Well, of course he was poor, but he's not just the savior, the poor. He's also the savior of the rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the savior. And Jesus refuses to set people against each other like this. This is the whole problem. This is Jesus was not there to overcome the systems of oppression, whatever... Jesus was there to overcome death and the grave. This is the, it's the, it's a completely different way of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so so what happens when we make um, the gospel 
just about this matter of inclusion is that it completely ignores still the sin problem. And now you're stuck wondering, uh, well, why, why is Jesus dead on a cross? I mean, if it's not about transgression, it's not about sin, if it's not about wrath, I mean, uh, whatever this meme said that, that kind of mocked the idea of, of there needing to be a punishment for sin, then why is Jesus dead on a cross? I mean, the, the most you can come to is that, well, he wasn't very good at what he was doing. <laughs> if, it, if all he was doing was trying to erase social norms, well, he, he failed then. But if we can understand there's a sentence for sin, and that is death, then the death of Jesus is victory, namely our victory mm-hmm. over sin and death. Uh, Ten mm-hmm. seconds, Pastor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, Jesus... Um, the real oppression that Jesus is after is the oppression of sin, and he was successful in freeing all people from that. And that makes Jesus our Savior and humanity all our brothers and sisters. Yep, that's right. And thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like, hey, what's your buzzword here? Thanks for listening Where, to this edition of Table Talk LX Radio. Table Talk <laughs> Radio is We're 70 everyone. points. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table We're Talk Radio. We're 70 points is no more than one. Nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to really defenses with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, What are an enneagram type 70 pain, Internal bleeding, internal combustion, <laughs> a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the capitalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.